Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, Nelson Mandela knew something about the struggle for liberation. The long journey to freedom, he once said, is frequently difficult and almost always confusing. The redemption of the Israelites from Egypt may seem today like a straightforward story as we read it, but the human experience as presented in the narrative is somewhat confusing. For the context, the Israelites had just camped out by the sea, as described earlier in chapter 14, where they had been freed from slavery. And not only that, but God had also disposed the Egyptians to pay reparations for the Israelites' forced labor. Things were looking up for the Israelites. They had both freedom and wealth and were on their way to the Promised Land. You might imagine then their shock and bitter disappointment when they lifted their eyes beyond and to behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. From freedom to near certain death, things shifted quickly. So it's no wonder that they cried out to God in fear. Now, breaking it down, the rest of the story goes something like this. Then Moses told them to be still and see what God would do. And then God told them to stop standing still and to move forward. And then the pillar that had been leading them moved behind them. And then they walked through the depths of the sea onto dry land. And then an army pursued them, and then the army was drowned. There are so many confusing reversals in this process of being freed that we hear about today. As we listen to the words from the text this morning, let us hear what God may be calling us to do in this time and place. A reading now from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, Verses 10 through 14, 21 through 29. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves? No graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you serve and see today, you shall never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to keep still. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove back the sea, back by a strong east wind all night, and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went after them into the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and chariot drivers. At the end of the morning, in a pillar of fire and cloud, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they couldn't turn easily. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites for the Lord is fighting against them, against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand, covered it over the sea, and at the dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked onto dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall on their right and on their left. Thus ends the reading.
Do you remember when, as a child, someone would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent, a teacher, a mentor, a coach, your best friend's mom. What do you want to be when you grow up? The comedian Paul Poundstone said that adults are always asking kids what they want to be when they grow up because they're looking for ideas. <laughs> How did you answer that question? What did you want to be when you grow up? I'm guessing you probably named, like me, a particular profession or vocation, nurse, teacher, veterinarian, trash man, bomb tester, hedge fund manager, I don't know. Maybe these professions sounded at the time like a good idea, adventurous, rewarding, lucrative. But it never occurred to any of us back then, but none of them actually really spoke about being. They were all just about doing. So again, what did you want to be when you grew up? And did you become it? Are you still becoming it? Isn't that a different kind of question? One that we should never, ever stop asking ourselves until the moment we breathe our last breath, what do I want to become? Implanted in the soul of every human being is this innate and enduring impulse to become. This impulse is actually inherent in all living things, not just humans. It's found throughout nature and biologically speaking. It helps explain why today we are not eukaryotic cells or duck-billed platypuses, but humans. And over billions of years, this impulse has been saying over and over again, hey, you, when you're ready, you can become this now. And throughout time, we said yes to that voice to become more. Did you know that even now in this moment, it's still happening? You are still becoming. You're not finished yet. This impulse to become is not merely biological. And this is where Darwin fell short. He named it as this process of competition when bio, uh, biologists ever since have been speaking about evolutionary biology through cooperation. As if we and all uh, living matter is listening and answering and responding to something else going on. Today we know there is this whole world beyond cells and ions and molecules and atoms and, and electrons even. We know today there are uh, quanta and strings and fields that we can't see and energy everywhere, all of which are dancing in cooperation in some choreography that that pulls together in elegant ways the entire universe, and this in ways that we can't observe or even measure. Even the universe right now, we know this, is still becoming. It is still expanding, actually at a rate of about 42 miles per second. Does it ever feel to you like your world is moving at a million miles an hour? You're probably right, you're close. Not even the universe is done expanding. Nothing is done yet. It is like there is some voice that's resounding through all of the universe. 
overheard by the swirling stardust in the distant heavens and the stirring of every soul of every living thing on earth. This voice that's saying you, hey, you could become more. You could become this now. So for millennia, people of faith have believed that, that this enduring voice spoken everywhere and always in all places is the voice of the divine, who, as we know from the book of Genesis, from the very beginning of time, this voice speaks to the formless, soupy chaos of space and says, you can be light. In the book of Genesis, the first chapter, we have this message, this voice that we hear, and it is not a command. It is an invitation. God was saying, hey, chaos, you become this now. You could become light. And we don't know how long God was speaking that, but at some point, all the chaos finally said yes. At a particular moment of time, that's when the chaos was formed into something like light and then life, and then grass, and then trees, and then creeping and crawling insects and people like you and me. For 14 billion years, this divine voice has been calling out over and over again, you're meant for more. You can become this now if you're ready. This longing to become is woven then into the fabric of the entire universe. And what it tells us, and we know this intuitively, that if we are to remain where we are and to remain who we are, unchanged and unmoved, we will die. We are wired to become more, to go from here to there and then from there to over there, to go from what we've always been to what we could be, to go from imposed limitations on our lives to endless possibilities, to go, if you will, from bondage to freedom. This is why I think why we love stories about people or groups of whole people who are today or have historically cried out for freedom in the face of real physical or spiritual forces that want to imprison them. Think of Rosa Parks, Bob Marley, Nelson Mandela. Think right now of the ordinary people in Ukraine fighting for their freedom. People who are in recovery from substance abuse, 12 steppers of all stripes. Aren't they in some way all answering bravely the same question, you want to become more now? Some of the most memorable movies are also about this same struggle. Think of Shawshank Redemption, ah, Braveheart, Four Years a Slave, or my favorite new movie, Barbie. It's a great, great liberation story. Jesus would have told it as a parable, I'm convinced. Because it asks the fundamental question that all of us in our lives must answer. Will we choose to remain in Barbie land, the manufactured world that is not real, and where nothing, including ourselves, will ever, ever change? Or will we dare to journey to the real world? Despite its all, all of its risks, will we dare to journey to that world and become who we really are? So this longing to become, I think, is, is found in the Exodus story, and it's why the Exodus story is so universally resonant and relatable. 
In the story, Egypt is the place of slavery. The promised land is the place of freedom. And the journey from Egypt to the promised land is the timeless paradigm for the human struggle for freedom to become more. The word exodus means literally the way out, the road of escape. Who among us hasn't ever felt the need to find a way out of whatever constraints are threatening our well-being? Who hasn't ever felt trapped by some circumstances or forces that, that want to control us? Who hasn't ever felt the subtle impulse to move, to go forward, only to second-guess ourselves? So this story of the Exodus, it speaks of struggle and two kinds of struggle in particular. The first is the real human struggle that many people today and historically have experienced as they come face to face with real oppression and slavery and injustice. Those who come from the African American community and the Latin American community, they hold the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus in particular, as their story of hope and liberation. But the story also speaks of our inward and spiritual struggle for the freedom that we all need and experience. This lifelong journey toward liberation to become more. And you heard the story. <clears throat> the Hebrews are in Egypt. Moses convinces the Hebrews to flee their captors. Moses covertly leads the Hebrews out of Egypt. Their captors fiercely pursue them. And at this point we say, this is not going to end well for the Hebrews. But it turns out the Hebrews get a good head start. And things initially are looking pretty good for them. They're over under on survivability. It's pretty good. They're actually making headway. We uh, captured in the new revised Gen Z version of the Bible. We captured some texts that those Israelites, uh, Hebrews, were sending to Moses. And right there, it was laugh out loud, Moses. I am rolling on the floor laughing at lame Pharaoh. Things were looking pretty good. And um, we have any more of those texts? I don't know if we do. Here we go. Uh, you got that right, Moses. <laughs> we are going for the win, and this is no big deal. By the way, Moses, where are the party at? Right? Things are great at the, at the, um, you know, at the shorelines of the Red Sea. And, um, and it's all looking swell until suddenly they discover that the journey has led them straight to the dead-end shoreline of the impassable, impossible, unimaginable B.I.G. Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is closing in, and, and suddenly the texts get, uh, get a little, they, they turn different. This is on the, by the way, the, the Tut mobile network. Uh, we captured these. Uh, uh, oh my God, Moses, we are stuck. Uh, what the heck, Moses? This was not a good idea. Um, in my humble opinion, Moses, you are a loser beyond repair, and this was no easy one, two, three. Oh my gosh, Moses, we are sucks. Shaking my head, Moses, we are SOL, so never mind. Let's BRB back to Egypt before we RIP. Poor Moses. I mean, those are the kind of texts he was getting. They're hopeless in no man's land. They're the trap between the Big Red Sea and Pharaoh's death squad. And that's when they hear this voice that's been speaking from the beginning of time. This voice says, hey, you, are you ready? You could become more now. In the story, the voice uses different words, but it's all the same. 
The voice says in the story, do not be afraid, stand firm, the Lord will fight for you. Just keep still. In other words, you're not done yet because God's not done yet, and you're going to live into the promise of who you might become because of that. And don't we all long to hear that voice in the face of whatever Red Sea we're facing? Now, this is where things in the story get really kind of weird and unbelievable. A lot of people in the modern world struggle with the details of the story because what it says is some things go down that are really unbelievable. The first is that the impassable, impossible Red Sea actually splits in two with this opening of dry land right through the middle of it. And we say, hmm, I don't know. And then uh, all those freaked out Gen Z or Hebrews at the shoreline, they are, uh, they're gathering together and the story says they, they actually reach this mutual agreement where they all say, yeah, I don't think there's anything sketchy about going through the middle of a sea where the walls are formed of water and all these weird fish are staring at you stuck there in the walls. And we say, hmm, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe the worst of it all is how it says that just as the Hebrews made it through the other side, Pharaoh's army comes through and the walls come crashing down on them and tens of thousands of Pharaoh's soldiers are drowned. You can see the bodies in the story floating and washing up on shore. It's horrible. But the story suggests that you can hear the shouts and songs of the righteous rising up from the pages of Scripture. And we say, I don't know. Can I remind you that history is always written by the victors? And while these details make for a great story, I think they can get in the way of understanding its deeper truth. If it helps, let me just tell you that you do not have to believe any of these miraculous details to hear that truth. You do not have to believe that it will always take some supernatural miracle to get you through whatever Red Sea you're facing. Or that the physical laws of the whole universe must somehow be suspended so you can make it through your crisis. Or that your enemies have to suffer or die in order for you to be free. In fact, if you believe that, chances are you might not ever make it through your Red Sea. The story doesn't say, actually, that you have to believe any of that. In fact, it doesn't really ask us to do anything at all. Did you hear that? The only command in the whole story is this, and I love this advice. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and be still. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. And my interpretation is do not react impulsively. These are the instructions given to the Hebrews at the shorelines of their Red Sea. And what is the Red Sea exactly? The Red Sea is simply a symbol. In the ancient world, the Red Sea, or the sea itself, was the symbol of chaos and evil. Beneath the surface of the sea were all those lurking threats and dangers, the forces of death, real and imagined, and especially imagined. Leviathan, Sea monsters, scary beasts with big teeth. The sea is just a symbol for whatever obstacle or fear we face in our lives, whatever stands in our way of becoming more 
And I bet for any of us on any given day, those Red Seas change. For some, it could be real injustice or oppression, racism, or other systems that oppress or repress or harm others. Maybe it's addiction or depression or dread or anxiety. Maybe it's some past event you haven't healed from or some current event that has turned your whole world upside down. The sea changes. From day to day, the sea changes, but the message is timeless. Don't be afraid. Don't run away. Don't react impulsively. Have courage, stand your ground, and be still. The story says two things. One, the story, the journey of liberation. The, uh, uh, in that journey of liberation, the real pharaohs of this world are always banking on the possibility that we will be afraid and that we will run away and that we will act impulsively. The pharaohs of this world will only hold on to power if we give in and give up, if we sell out and cash out, if we recede into some lesser version of ourselves. Uh, Fear and retreat and uh, the impulsive reactions of humans constitute the oxygen that helps Pharaoh stay alive. <clears throat> a, few, a few months ago, as you may know, our, our campus was vandalized, specifically because of our welcoming and affirming stance on issues of inclusion. And what we discovered is this Pharaoh of hate assumes that we will just be afraid and run away and react. Pharaoh forgets that we're not citizens of Egypt anymore. It forgets that we we left Egypt and we chose God and when that happens, the Pharaoh no longer has power over us. It forgets that our way is through the sea as a people of faith and that in order for us to be the kind of people God calls us to be, We have to stand at the water's edge and we have to hold our ground and we have to be still and to have courage until the waters of inclusion are opened. You see, the truth is that you can get the people out of Egypt, but it's really hard to get the Egypt out of the people unless they choose to live unafraid and to not run away and to not react impulsively. But this story also says one other thing, and that is that on our journey toward liberation, God is always out in front of us. I love this part of the story. Somehow God is going to battle for us in ways that we scarcely understand or even see. And I bet most of us would use different language about that sort of divine warfare going on in the world. But we might, we might understand at least this, that in the story, God is for us and going before us. The exodus of our lives, we are never closer to God than when we are standing at the water's edge. September is Suicide Awareness Month in our country, and we know that right now there are countless people standing on the shorelines of some Red Sea they can't get through, many of whom cannot see a way out. Did you know that every day in the U.S., 
132 people die by suicide. In the amount of time that we began our worship until our benediction, five more will choose death by suicide. If you are one of those people on that shoreline or you know somebody who is, I think the Exodus story is for you. There's a way out through the sea. God is for you and before you. And that is so very hard to hear when you are in the grip of despair and you can't see a way out. But this is what I have learned over the years as a pastor. As I work and speak with people who have survived suicide attempts, they tell us, all of them, that we, if we cannot react in the moment by acting impulsively at the water's edge, we can live. In the year 2020, a man by the name of Kevin Hines jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He was in a suffering, uh, in an episode of suffering from manic depression, bipolar. No one would answer his cries for help, and so he boarded a bus, went to the bridge, and jumped off. And this is what he said, and it is confirmed by so many people I hear from who survived attempted suicide. He said, the millisecond my hands left the rail, I felt instant regret. He immediately lamented his impulsive decision. And as he fell those 220 feet at 90 miles an hour, he knew he didn't want to die. That he'd made a mistake. That really there was a way through. His impact was severe. He broke an ankle, a couple of vertebrae in his back. But he miraculously survived. Thanks, as he says, to an unlikely angel. It was a lone sea lion that came to his aid and encircled him and kept him afloat. Today, Heinz shares his story with others who are on that so-called shoreline, and his message in part is clear, that if one in despair can keep from acting impulsively in the moment, he or she can be saved. So it is for all of us. At whatever shoreline we find ourselves, whenever we just give God time to be for us and to go before us, and then to follow the voice that says to every one of us in every moment of our lives, are you ready? You can become this. The takeaways for today, have courage, stand your ground, and be still. Let us pray. Loving God, you have spoken to us in word and in truth. May we now be not merely hearers of your word, but doers also by your grace. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection, by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.